let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Here's what DC is talking about. There has never been a DC mayoral aide quite so powerful as John Falchicchio. And all of a sudden he's gone, departed amid scandal. Alex Coma, who is loose lips from Washington City Paper, is here to walk us through what it means. Lead producer Priyanka Tilve is also here, and we are going to be talking about the city's budget. It sounds wonky, but it's actually super interesting. And the future of e-bikes in D.C. Today is Friday, March 24th. I'm Michael Schaefer, and this is CityCast D.C. Alex, thanks so much for being here, man. It is great to be back. So busy week for you. <laughs> <laughs> to put it mildly, uh, it is not every week that you have a top mayoral advisor resign in scandal a few days before the budget comes out. So yeah, pretty busy. So I've been trying to like think of an analogy for Falchicchio's role. He was officially, he was the chief of staff and the Dempad, which is the nerd way of saying he's the deputy mayor for planning and economic development. He's the, the guy in charge of cultivating business. But it's as if like Ron Klain and Steve Reschetti and maybe Tony Blinken and three or four other people all quit the White House on the same day, all of a sudden with no explanation. How'd this go down? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can use pretty much any analogy you like. I have seen people say shadow mayor. I don't think that that's too strong. Maybe Muriel Bowser's mini me is a little more appropriate. You know, they were, as you say, joined at the hip, had been together since she was running her first council campaign. John Falchicchio's uh, history dates back to Adrian Fenty, who was, of course, mayor back in 2006 to 2010 and, and was Muriel Bowser's political mentor. And so it is not an exaggeration to say that he was the most important person in her government. They were friends by all accounts. And so late Friday, we see this press release that says down at the bottom, oh, well, we thank John Falchicchio for his years of service as he returns to the private sector. And everyone's saying, hold on. I mean, for a guy like this to be getting a 3 p.m. news dump to send him out the door instead of getting, you know, roses thrown at his feet. And so late Friday, we get this notice that, oh, yeah, by the way, he's transitioning. And it set off a 72-hour period of rumor mongering and gossip, basically people saying there must be more here to this. And by Monday, of course, we find out that he's been accused of sexual harassment and now he's gone. So there was a press release from Lisa Banks, who is a very prominent Me Too attorney. She represented Blasey Ford in the Kavanaugh hearings. She has represented a lot of the cheerleaders who have accused Dan Snyder and the commander's organization of misdeeds. And she puts out a press release saying, I represent this unnamed DC official. And the allegations are, you know, involved like unwanted contact in addition to words. This is serious stuff. The mayor then, what does she reveal at that point? 
<laughs> so she she hasn't said much. Basically, all that she has been willing to say is that she has started some sort of internal investigation. And interestingly, she's choosing to have her own lawyers do this. These are people within the mayor's office for legal counsel, all people, you know, who report to the mayor and presumably at one point reported to John Falcicchio. So it's kind of an awkward uh, situation. We don't really know a ton about it. She said it'll take something like the next, I think she said 60 days, could be longer. We don't know what'll happen if they find evidence of things that could lead to criminal charges. We don't know what will happen if they find evidence that other people have accused Falcicchio of similar things. As you say, when the lawyers for whoever has accused him put out this press release, they were pretty clear. They put at the bottom, they said, if you want to contact this person in the mayor's office because you've had similar experiences, here's her contact info and her email address. A very clear statement that they are at least thinking that there are other people out there and it is not clear yet just how far this goes and what form it takes moving forward. But then another part of this is that Well, Mark Seagraves, who's another D.C. local reporter that we've had on, tweeted about how Bowser knew of the allegation of sexual misconduct by Falchikio more than a week before his resignation. The complaint was lodged on March 8th. She was notified that night. She ordered the investigation the next day. And then the resignation and like this very subtle, mysterious announcement didn't come out until a whole week later. What are people in the mayor's office that you've talked to saying about that? Frankly, people that I've talked to both inside and outside of the administration have been a little puzzled at how the mayor's team and the mayor herself has handled this. Often, and I mean, number one, let's start with the fact that when there were scandals in the Bowser administration, it was John Falcicchio who helped manage the crisis response. So that should help clue us into why this is happening the way it's happening. But two, I would also say a lot of people who have dealt with political scandals and have been talking about this, of which there have been many in local DC politics, have said, when there is something like this, you want to put out all the truth and make it clear that you're investigating to get to the bottom of whatever happened. The more that you start appearing that you're trying to cover things up or shield yourself or revise the narrative afterward, the more confusing that this looks to the public. And that is exactly what is happening with the mayor here. In the press release she put out, she says he's transitioning to the private sector. Well, I don't know. That might be true. He certainly hasn't announced anything, but there's no reference of allegations against him, even though, as you say, by this point, by the time she put that out, she clearly knew about it. Then there's the question of the timing. She comes out and she does a press conference and she says she found out about the allegations the day before they announced his resignation. Now, she literally had her lawyer going around calling reporters, telling them that no, actually, she misspoke, she remembered wrong, it had been a whole week, which it sure seems like that's the sort of thing you want your lawyers to have you get your facts straight on before you go in front of the cameras and say so. Yeah, no kidding. Because otherwise it makes it look like you've got something to hide, whether you do or not. I mean, I will say that the statement from the lawyers, from the accuser's lawyers, um, which Lisa Banks is someone who has looked systemically at organizations. It struck me that there was not any intimation in their statement that there had been some wrongdoing on the part of any of Falchicchio's boss. Yeah, well, the attorney statement did also say that Falchicchio and the mayor's office are fully cooperating, which I think is also great. I think the thing that's interesting here is just that it's the whisper of a cover-up can do so much more damage than whether or not there was actually a cover-up. And I think that 
changing statements always seem to hint at that, which is dangerous. I agree. And to Mike's point, when I reached out to the law firm, just to say, have you filed anything yet? Is there a civil suit? They've said that they have full confidence in the mayor. But I have to wonder, how far does the confidence extend? Because essentially, I guess a lot of it will frankly depend on their client, the person who is at the center of all this, who has asked to remain anonymous. Basically, the only thing we do know about them is they're a DC employee. If they feel confident in the mayor, presumably they do because they work within the system, then maybe that's enough for them. But hiring a firm like Katz's firm says a lot. It's sort of an implicit threat in a way, which is to say, I've secured the services of someone who has experience representing at Christine Blasey Ford and can help me through a process that is not, strictly speaking, a legal one. But this is a person that also has experience bringing major lawsuits. And you've got to wonder if this all comes out and it says, oh, it was an isolated incident and uh, it's a real shame. We wish him the best, uh, but that's kind of the end of it. You know, is that going to be enough? What if they find people with similar experiences? Whether it stays isolated to just Falchicchio is very much, I think, an open question. Yeah. Well, Alex, one thing I really loved about your Loose Lips column this week, the first line was so great. I'm just going to read it out. Pick a political scandal from the past eight years of Mayor Muriel Bowser's tenure in office, and John Falcicchio was the one managing the fallout. In a head-spinning turn of events, Falcicchio himself is now at the center of a scandal that needs managing. So with that in mind, this was a really abrupt departure, like we've mentioned. What will the mayor's office do without him, both for this scandal and for all of the other projects that he's been managing? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people within and without the administration are asking that exact question at this point. I would definitely say that there is a level of uncertainty about the direction of Bowser's third term today that there was not a week ago. And that is because when it came to the narrow purview of economic development, which is an extremely important issue in the city, Falcicchio had his fingerprints all over that. He was the one with relationships with developers, with community groups, the person that if you had some sort of question or complaint or new initiative you wanted to launch, that you went to. But he also touched essentially every other aspect of city government in his role as chief of staff and sort of main political advisor. I mean, let's face it, Bowser has had other campaign managers over her three runs for office, but it's been Falcicchio. I mean, he has essentially been the top person guiding her political career. But if you asked a question of the administration, a lot of times they would either find a way that you could ask that question to Bowser at a press conference, or they would get you on the phone with John Falcicchio because he could talk about it, which I think is a very indicative sign of not only all the things that he's worked on, but also the way that he was the public face for the administration, with the mayor being the only person that rivaled him in that regard. So now they've appointed Lindsay Parker, who was the chief technology officer and assistant administrative officer, as the new chief of staff. That fills one of his roles. They've appointed a longtime D.C. government hand, Keith Anderson, who most recently ran the Department of General Services uh, to head economic development efforts. These are people that Bowser knows and by all accounts like will be able to run the government competently. They've been with her for several years, but neither of them have that political element, that political experience where they were, as Falchicchio was for many years, in the trenches, raising money, dealing with politically connected ministers and developers, you know, all the things that make up the bread and butter of DC politics. Who fills that role in the administration is very much anyone's guess. 
It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree. That's to help raise funds for homelessness in DC. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow. There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash spring soiree. See you there. So as you've said, it is the budget season. So the mayor proposes a budget. The, the city council, the D.C. council now debates it. Compared to the last couple decades, it's a fairly tight environment, which is to say the city's tax revenue is down. The costs are up. What are they going to do? Whose ox is going to get gored? Falchicchio had a political valence about him. I mean, the progressives tended to see him as this like lickspittle of the capitalists and the ballast that was sort of holding Bowser towards the center. I don't know if that was accurate or not, because, you know, I think that might undersell her own agency in the matter. But is there any sense yet of what this might do to like literally what the administration proposes or what they're willing to give on and not give on? This is essentially the start of a, a two or three month long negotiation period with the council. The council is not happy with a good bit of this budget, at least in early conversations that I've had. And so I think that they're at least a little hopeful that maybe in the void created by his absence, they can exert a little more influence over the budget than they normally can. Can you give a broad like characterization of what they're not happy about? Oh, sure. I mean, essentially, you know, the last few years, They've been flush with federal money, and that has eased, I think, a lot of the tensions. Not all of them, but, you know, it's certainly papered over a lot of the issues. It's easier to fund everybody's pet program when there is so much federal money coming in, when the way that the D.C. government budgets is you estimate the revenues for the year, and if more money comes in above that, you can use that money to go to a variety of priorities that you can fight over. Revenue estimates were quite low the last few years because people were unsure of the effects of the pandemic. So more revenue starts coming in, everybody's happy. But now you find the city's uh, chief financial officer revising things back, saying, hold up, be a little more cautious. Property tax revenues might not be what they were even a few years ago because of COVID's effect on office work. And so now everybody is back to sort of the, the bad old days of fighting over a smaller pie of resources, or at least the mayor is trying to frame it that way. Chairman Phil Mendelson, who has a tremendous amount of influence on the budget process as well, has pointed out, I think astutely, that despite the mayor's claims, this year's budget has more money in it to spend than last year's. Now, is there nuance to that argument? Of course. But it is striking to see Mendelssohn, no great fan of Bowser, especially at budget time, you know, come out literally within a few hours and say, using the mayor's own political slogan against her, that this budget is not a fair shot for low and middle income Washingtonians and that they're going to work to fix that. So the bottom line is they want to spend money on ambitious things and she is skeptical of that. Yeah, the way she put it is, we're not putting any new spending proposals in this budget. By and large, that is what she held to, with some exceptions. The biggest thing is that Mendelssohn and Charles Allen, who heads the Council's Transportation Committee, 
really want to fund this program for free metro bus rides in the district. It's going to be pretty expensive. Uh, how expensive is a matter of debate. And the mayor has been sort of opposed to that idea from the outset for a variety of reasons. Mostly, she, you know, worries about the cost. She worries that Maryland and Virginia aren't paying into it, even though theoretically you could hop on a metro bus in D.C. for free and it would carry you out of the city into Maryland or Virginia. So, you know, she's been putting up a fight. And, you know, with the assistance of the chief financial officer, have raised cost concerns about it pretty effectively. This has become a key priority for Mendelssohn in particular, since he helped negotiate this free bus strategy in the first place. And so the fact that she has been so resistant to it, has essentially put it on the council to figure out how to fund this when they thought they'd already done so, it has started things off on the wrong foot. What do you think? You watch this stuff pretty closely, man. Because I have just, in doing our show, it's kind of ricocheted back and forth between, hey, listen, things are pretty flush. We can do these like cool and ambitious things like free metro buses. And, uh-oh, it's a crisis. Nobody's coming downtown. People are working from home. It's a great danger to the city's future. Which one do you think it is? <laughs> I think it's a little of both. I have heard many of those arguments about the threats posed to downtown, which are not imaginary. I think that there is some truth to them because the way that commercial property assessors judge how much a building is worth and therefore how much tax they should pay traditionally has been, well, how many people, how occupied is the building? How many companies lease space in it? Obviously, that's not happening. Is there a question about whether that's the proper way to evaluate the worth of a commercial building in the year of our Lord 2023? Yes. But that hasn't really been worked out thus far. And that simply is going to mean that the city's commercial property tax rates, which are the easiest thing for D.C. to make money on it, no question. Now, does that mean the sky is falling? I also don't think that's true. Because when the CFO is revising revenue projections downward, he's not saying, oh, the you know, city's going to start returning to recession levels of tax revenue. Oh, the city is not going to have money to do big, ambitious things. That's also not true. He's just saying, my projections aren't as rosy as they were. And crucially, they could change yet again. I mean, many of these projections are based on the perception that the economy is slowing. We've heard that there's a fear of a recession for essentially a year and a half now. The Fed has reacted that way. But has one materialized yet? No. So, you know, the way I see it is the mayor and the council could be having a conversation at this moment, and I think that there is an appetite among some, but certainly not all on the council to start thinking about this. If our commercial property tax revenue is going away, what will replace it? There are other avenues to do that. The mayor is committed to not raising taxes or fees on anything, but the council has certainly shown an appetite to do that in the past. Will they in this budget year? I don't think so, but I think it's going to be a conversation you're going to start seeing as soon as the next year or two. Well, so when D.C. has faced off against Congress, against the federal government, one of the great rhetorical weapons that D.C. mayors have had for the past I don't know, 20, 25 years, our budget is in a lot better shape than a lot of your state's budgets are. Is that a line that's no longer going to be accurate? What do you think? <laughs> I think it will still be accurate, but I also don't know that it strictly speaking matters because in the head of every congressional Republican that is making hay, and I think you'll see this next week at the hearing that they've planned to oversee the state of governance in the District of Columbia, you're going to hear a lot of these arguments because in the head of James Comer and any other congressional Republican up on the Hill, it's 1996 and the city is falling apart and 
Marion Barry is mayor. They will never break three of that perception, no matter how much the city changes. I think that some will try and use that argument. I mean, you look at the fact that they've called the chief financial officer up to the Hill to testify. You've got to be, you know, expecting to get these questions. They want to hammer on D.C. as crime is so high that taxes are falling. But whether or not the D.C. Council and the mayor can mount an effective argument against that based on their failings in the criminal code revision, unclear. However, I think it is clear that these arguments are very spurious and being made for political purposes. All right. So you mentioned earlier that weird Friday afternoon when the mayor sort of at the end of an announcement says, oh, by the way, uh, my top aide right-hand man is going to be transitioning to the private sector. Oops. That there was actually a purpose for the press conference where she gathered people. And it involves something Priyanka is going to talk about today, which is to the opposite end of the spectrum from budget austerity, e-bikes and things the city is doing for them. Priyanka, you want to talk about that? Yeah. The mayor and the city council are both so invested in e-bikes this year. I feel like it's come kind of out of nowhere, but it's exciting, I suppose. But the e-bike news, the newest e-bike news, is that they announced um, that they're adding nearly 700 new e-bikes to the Capital Bike Share program. So that means that we now have a thousand e-bikes in that program, which is awesome. Like, I don't know if, have either of you ridden e-bikes before? <laughs> no, I've not had the pleasure yet, but now clearly oh I have gosh. the opportunity. <laughs> It is fun. It feels like you're flying. Like every time you press down on the pedal, you just like zoom down the street. It feels great. These go up to 20 miles an hour. So not slow. Um, 20 miles an hour. Here's your reminder to bring a helmet with you. But they also have pedal assist and they're pretty cost effective. So they cost a dollar to unlock and then 15 cents per minute after that point, which for getting across the city, which I don't know, DC isn't huge, right? So you can get across the city in like 20 minutes of biking. That's not so bad. And then the e-bikes are also cool because you can unlock and relock them anywhere. So you can just lock them up to a public bike stand anywhere in the city. You don't have to find where exactly the capital bike share rack is, which is also awesome. Do we have any idea of the e-bike like for every mile you ride or something? How much of the cost of that is borne by the person paying the membership and e-bikes and how much of it is borne by the city government? Well, it's kind of complicated because Capital Bike Share is weirdly owned by a private company. They're owned by um, Lyft, actually, which mm -hmm. owns their operator. So we were actually talking about this when the announcement came out. The city's done a lot to subsidize the presence of them. They've built a lot of infrastructure that can accommodate them. But by and large, I mean, this is a pretty good deal for the city, all things considered, because they don't bear 100% of the cost associated with the risk because they can essentially move it onto a private company, which uh, is very convenient for them. I mean, I was just thinking about the politics here, right? Because you've said when we talked about the budget that we're going into a season where it's going to be a more pitched battle between austerity and non-austerity, and someone is going to either get something cut or not raised that they think should be raised. And it is the sort of environment where the kind of noxious attitudes like, you know, hey, this 
thing that I, as a poor person, or as an advocate for poor people, really need is not getting raised, but we're spending a bunch of money on e-bikes that could be biked around by the likes of Washington area podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> it's the persistent argument that happens in, in budget season, right? Which is naturally, like, if you see money being spent on one thing or cut from one thing, then you have to assume that there is the equivalent that can be somewhere else, as you say, the e-bikes you see on the street. But I think that there's this distinction that the public doesn't always see between what are you spending on capital financing, the big projects that come out years down the line, which in some instance can include e-bike infrastructure. That's stuff that you're putting on like the city's credit card, for lack of a better metaphor. And then there's the stuff that the city is spending money on every day out of their operating accounts, the checking account, the money that you have right now. And money can move between those two sides, but they can't always. A lot of times in this budget season, you're going to see people saying, you've cut a million dollars from this construction project. Why can't it flow into this thing I want funded right now? It's like, well, it, it doesn't really work like that. It can. And there is good reason to ask about the money the D.C. government's spending, but uh, it's not always one for one. All right. So uh, we always end our episodes with a D.C. life hack. D.C. residents can sign up for library cards from all the surrounding counties in Maryland and Virginia and vice versa. These are called reciprocal jurisdictions. Oh, and by the way, you don't even have to go there to get your book because all of these places, much like D.C., have ebooks available. So if your ebook is all rented out in Washington, maybe it's available in Fairfax County. Good luck out there. I'm a huge ebook person, so this is a really hot tip for me. And that is all for today here on CityCast DC. Thank you very much, Alex Coma, for being here. Always a pleasure. Our lead producer is Priyanka Tilbey. Our producer is Julia Karen. Our newsletter writer is Kayla Cote Stemmerman. And our hosts are Bridget Todd and me, Michael Schaefer from Politico. Music is by Alex Roldan. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Bye.